Man, just thankful uh, for what Brian has done so far in just walking us through unity. And so we're in this series of unity. Uh, we're three weeks in. This is the third week. Uh, the first week, um, Brian talked about the power of unity and how uh, when you're unified, um, what God does in you and through you and what God does through the church is just super powerful. And, uh, and then last week, he talked about the cost of unity and the cost of unity that he said, man, every, if we're going to be unified, it always requires sacrifice on our part, that we have to sacrifice something. And so, um, and it's just been powerful. If you've not listened to it, especially last week, I just thought, man, that was so, so good. Uh, so many good illustrations. So if you haven't listened to those, go back, watch those. Um, it'd be very, very helpful. Um, so this morning, we're going to be talking about unity in light of the church and uh, and. When I talk about the church, we know that there's this big C church that is this global church, um, but and there's not much we can do about that. I don't see a lot of unity in the big C church. Um, it's always been fragmented from years and decades and centuries ago, um, but we can do something about the little C church, the local church that we're a part of. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on um, this morning, and as we uh, as we kind of roll, we're going to be jumping in different books of the Bible. So uh, just be ready. If you have your Bibles, be ready to kind of flip around. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out there. Um, if you want to be bold enough to like stand up right now and go get one, you can. But otherwise, we're going to have it on the screen, all right? And then you may have it on your phone as well. Um, so uh, go ahead in your Bibles. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start there. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at unity um, through the lens of Paul. So Paul wrote the most about church unity. And here's why. Because Paul, um, he was a missionary. And so in his missionary journeys, he went and started these new churches. And so as Paul was doing that, these new believers were coming together and they were congregating. And so as those new people were trying to figure out like Jesus and themselves and then togetherness, as they were coming together, Paul's like, we need to talk about unity. We need to talk about the, keeping the main things the main things and coming together and in those writings, there's two things that kind of emerge, two ideas or thoughts that emerge um, that I see in Paul's writings. One is relationship, and the second is purpose. So relationship and purpose are kind of two emerging thoughts in Paul's writings about unity to the churches. And so we're going to focus on those. We're going to look at kind of two things around the idea of relationship and then one thing then around the idea of purpose, all right, and how that we as a body are unified around that. So as you look at uh, this, uh, this verse, let me just kind of put a reminder out there. Here's what's kind of going on, all right? So let's just make sure we, we understand like, what's going on in the world um, as Paul's writing and encouraging them. Jesus had ascended, so Jesus has gone back up to the Father, all right? He's left. He told the, the, the disciples, he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to leave you this mission. You carry it on. But Jesus also said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So I'm not going to leave you down here powerless trying to carry out this mission that you can't do in your own power, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit descended in Pentecost, came down, empowered, and, and gave us the embodiment of Jesus here on earth. He didn't do it just for those early disciples. He did it for us as well. So as a believer, a follower of Jesus, we have the deposited Holy Spirit within us, and he works in and through us. And so that's what's going on. And so even in the churches, as those people were gathering, that's what was stirring. That was the power of those early churches. I mean, they were in cities and, 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 and uh, you know, fight, facing all kinds of persecution. But man, God was doing something in them that pushed them forward. 
And so Paul was wanting to make sure that he helped them understand what does it look like for them to unite. And so in the idea of relationship, here's where I want to go. Romans chapter 4, or Romans chapter 12, don't go to 4, you'll be lost. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says this, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. Now, some of your translation may say the body of Christ right there, all right? So it is the body of Christ. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. All right, we all belong to each other. Let's focus there. Talking about relationship, all right? When I say that, some of you kind of like, I may be break out in hives right now. Because you, in our culture, saying that is is antithetical to our way of, of doing life. Because you're saying, oh, you don't belong to me. I don't belong to you. That's not the way that it works. Well, it, what's interesting in Paul's writings, and one writer said it this way, as Paul's writing and talking about the body of Christ and how all these different parts make up one, Paul is writing to combat individualism. He's writing to combat individualism. Individualism is pretty synonymous with the American way of life, isn't it? I mean, that's the way that we, we kind of do things. We, we're going to do it on our, we're going to pull our bootstraps, and we're going to go grab that and tackle it down, and we're going to make sure that we have that together by ourselves. And that's the way of life for Americans. Well, individualism is not a healthy way of life. All right, let me just stop. Individualism is different than individuality. Individuality is your uniqueness of God's created you and shaped you. You're super unique. Individuality, we celebrate. That's awesome. Individualism, when you kind of boil it down and you look at it, it is a philosophy and a way of doing things. And, and when you fast forward and you get to a place of like, all right, I live and die by my own self, there's self-centeredness with that. So self-centeredness and individualism, what does it breed? It breeds isolation. Isolation then breeds despair. So you have individualism. I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to pull it off by myself. It leads to isolation. Isolation leads to despair. Despair is where a lot of Americans find themselves. We find ourselves in, in loneliness, desperation, depression. We find ourselves like, man, how can we do this? And Paul is writing to make sure that we combat that. See, Paul understood, and he understood it well. Man, in order for us to do that, we have to depend on God. We have to depend on God alone. But we also have this interconnectedness with one another. Relationally, we have to depend on each other. And that's something that we struggle with. That's something that is tough for us. As Americans, I don't necessarily want to have to depend on somebody. As a man, I don't necessarily want to have to depend on somebody. I can do it myself. It usually ends in disaster around the house. And, uh, honey, please come help. I know. I, I, and that's the way it usually happens. But we, we, that's the way we are. That's the way we're wired. So what does it look like for us to do that? See, Paul understood this. Paul didn't just write about this interconnectedness. He, he lived it out. If you think about it, you go back, what Paul did in his missionary journeys, he's like, I can't do this alone. So what did he do? He brought Barnabas with him. So Barnabas was with them, did these missionary journeys. Man, they were together. They came to a point of disagreement. And even Brian said, unity is not always agreeing. They came to disagreement, went on their ways to continue the purpose and mission that they had. After that, guess what? Paul said, I've got a Silas. Silas is going to walk with me. Silas is going to be here. And you read other passages with, with Paul, and what you see 
there were other individuals around Paul walking with Paul to accomplish this. So Paul understood the value of journeying together. See, when we try to walk alone and we don't belong with someone, we don't belong to each other as a body, guess what happens? You do it in your strength and you don't gain the power of togetherness. You don't see that. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to play a little game, all right? A little, little participation from the crowd. Here's, here's what we're doing. Famous duos, all right? So these are together. These are duos that we're going to look at. So famous duos, and I need your participation. So we, I would say that, man, it, it's, you know, Christianity is not a Lone Ranger sport, all right? Because every Lone Ranger needs a... There we go. All right, y'all get it. So every Batman needs a... Man, all right. Every beauty needs a... Come on. Every Phineas needs a... See, some of y'all are like, I don't even know what that is. Right? Hold your hand up. You have no idea who Phineas and Ferb is. All right. More likely you don't have kids or you're way old. All right? So just saying. Just saying. Just saying. So every Phineas needs a Ferb. All right. Every Dolce needs a? Uh, all the women got that one, right? Guys are like, well, I don't know. Is that French? What is that? All right? So every Dolce needs a Cabana. All right? I don't really know what it is either, but guys, you'll get this one. Every Smith needs a? The woman up here, like, she got to be packing. Like, she knew it way too quick, all right? All right, here we go. This is going to be a good one. Every hall needs a? Come on, you're my people. Right on. All right, every hall needs oats. Every Han Solo needs a? There we go. And you get it. See, you get the point. I mean, we are created to do life together. We just are. We belong to each other. God said that our body, when we unite and we come together, guess what? We belong to one another. And so that is, that is man, when the power of that is inescapable. The whole New Testament speaks into this, that we need one another. 59 times, 59 times in the New Testament, it talks about one another's. 59 times it's referring to, I want you to pray for one another. I want you to love for one another. I want you to pray with one another. I want you to serve one another. I want you to be hospitable to one another. I want you to confess your sin to one another. That's what six, you got 53 more times where it's speaking into the one another's. You can't do that without a relationship. You, you, we can't be one another's without relationship. You can't have a relationship without proximity. It's impossible. We as a church, guess what? We as a church, we can't do the one another's unless we're in relationship with one another. Unless we're, there's proximity to one another. I was reminded, so the, after the 930, a few weeks ago, there was a group over here, just in, in this little section over here, that had gathered up to pray for someone. And so, I mean, they just kind of like, something was going on, have no idea what was going on. They gathered up, they moved over into this little area, and just began praying over and for this individual. And I was looking at it going, that's what it's about. That's the one another kind of stuff that you look at and say, there's power in that. Because guess what? Usually what we do is we just say, hey, I'm praying for you. Guess what? Nah, you, you're like me. You forget, right? Like, you didn't pray for nobody. You thought about them, thoughts, but no prayers kind of thing. But guess what? The one another, you're knee to knee. You're, you're touching them. And there is nothing, I believe, that unites more than prayer. As we pray for one another. 
And so just what an incredible picture it was for these one and others to get together. And that's what Paul's talking about. Man, we've got to come together in one another's. Individually, we have to have people in our lives that know us deeply. One of the, one of the truest things about you is that you want to be known. You, you want to be known, and you want to be known deeply. God has created you, crafted you. He's brought you through mess. You still got mess. And guess what? You want to be known. And you have to have somebody in your life that knows you deeply on every level, that you can be completely honest with, that you can tell everything without any repercussion, without any judgment, because they love you deeply. See, we have to have those kind of individuals in our lives, individuals that will ask us very difficult questions, not surface-level junk that, oh, how's your day, how's your week, you had your you know, time with God, all that kind of good stuff. No, it's deep stuff. And there are only maybe one or two individuals that are willing to journey with you and walk with you as close as you need them to. But we have to have those individuals in our lives. Man, I saw the power of that in a men's, just out of my own kind of growth and experience and what God was doing in my own life. And I'd connected with just a handful of men. And there's two men that really know the depth of my heart. But then you just, you kind of come together and say, man, I've got to be known. Man, we're, we're the worst. We are. We, we just, we, we just want to isolate. We want to kind of like, I'll, I'll just kind of do it and figure it out. We'll carry that baggage. And, and guess what? There's somebody that is willing to carry baggage with you. So I just encourage you. I just challenge you. Who is it that will encourage you? Who is it that will speak truth to you in love? Who is it that will ask you the hard things? Who is it that will push you toward Christ to make you more like Jesus? Who do you belong to? to. Because unity within this body is going to come down to who you belong to. Who are you connected with? So Paul is talking about this fact that we belong to one another. We belong to one another. Who do you belong to? But as he's talking about that belonging to one another, Paul's drawing this whole metaphor about the body. And so he's saying, hey, there's this many parts, but we're one body. And so as Paul's writing this to the Romans, at this point in time, it didn't hit the Romans by surprise. They weren't going, what are we talking about, Paul? We're talking about body and all these parts. And I can't. They would have understood this. They would have understood this because at this point in time, for centuries, they had been using this concept of homonia. Homonia is this idea, and they would use it in speeches, of how do they create alignment. And so they would use this from either a political or a leadership platform, and they would use that to say, hey, we're going to gain alignment. And most times they would use ideas of how the body is aligned and how the parts interrelate. So let me give you an example. Um, one writer said this, and this was five centuries before Jesus, before the birth of Jesus. Soldiers from the lower class of Roman society had protested the excessive wealth and power of the upper class. Love that. But to regain the soldier's support, the consul told a fable in which the hands, mouth, and teeth of a body were not doing enough for them. All right, we're drawing the fable. You're kind of connecting it here. They weren't doing enough for them. The entire body was quickly reduced to the last stage of exhaustion. That is what the council predicted for the city of Rome if the plebeian soldiers did not support the stomach and perform their duties. So he's like, listen, we're, you're at the end. Your body's at the end, and guess what? It's going to be the same thing with Rome unless you get in line and you do what you're supposed to do. 
And so he's using this in the speech. He's trying to rally the troops. And guess what happened? The soldiers responded by renewing their support for Rome. So Paul is saying, hey, we're one part, or many parts with one body. So it wouldn't have surprised them. So they're reading it and going, oh, okay, yeah, that we've heard that language before. We understand that there is an alignment here and what that looks like for us. So they understood that. But Paul, he didn't stop at just saying, hey, we have to be right related to one another. There is alignment in the body. So let's kind of transition. Still in relationship. This is a relationship related to one another and then related to whom? So the second point is we are a body united under the headship of Christ. All right? So we understand this. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. All right? Ephesians chapter 4. Now, Paul gets very specific. Um, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, making sure that they understand uh, it, there's, there's things that they're going through as a church. So he's helping them align and understand just theology and practice to make sure that they're just saying, man, it's new as a believer. What are we supposed to do? So he's writing to them. And he says this in Roman, or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Some, some people call this as the fivefold ministry of the church. That he gave apostles, he gave some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And so in that, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such what? Unity, Unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, that is one day, all right? And my prayer is that I get to a place where I feel like there is maturity, and I'm measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And this is what was happening in the churches of Ephesus, so new teachings were coming around, and they're like, hey, we're supposed to believe this or no? Because you've got to remember, in this time, new believers in these churches, like they're coming out of the city, and all that they've expressed and understood is what life is about. They hear about Jesus. They're embracing Jesus. They're following Jesus. And so they're trying to wrestle with, do I still believe this, or do I believe this? What, this or that? And so they're trying to figure out, what does that look like? So Paul is addressing that with them. And it goes on, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Go back to our, connect, our belonging to one another. Guess what? You can't speak to somebody in truth if you don't know them. And they don't believe that you love them. Not even believe. that They don't know that you love them. If I know that you just like me, guess what I'm not going to let you do? I'm not going to let you speak truth to me. But if I know that you love me and you've got my heart on your heart, guess what? I'm going to allow you to speak truth in love. So Paul, as he's saying this, and what does that do? Instead, we speak truth in love, growing every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Have you ever seen... Um, have you ever seen a rock mason do their work? I mean, it's fantastic. Anybody a rock mason in here? You've done that? That's good. All right. So I can say it and y'all believe it. All right. So here's, here's what's going on. A rock mason, I, I've watched them do their work. I have no idea how to do it. But man, they'll take rocks. They'll kind of arrange it in their mind. They'll look at it and say, does that fit? All kinds of different rocks. 
I mean, they're just, you know, sitting there, whether it's, you know, they're putting it up or they're stacking, whatever it may be. And they take that and they'll just look at it and say, it doesn't fit. Let me chisel. So they'll chisel some off. And they can put it up there and say, ah, I still don't like it. They'll pull it back and kind of put it in a, a, a stack over here. They'll grab one and say, oh, this is the perfect fit. So they'll put that one there. And then they'll go back and grab that one and put that over there. They'll chisel a little bit more off. And guess what? At the end of that, you look at it and it's beautiful and it's very purposeful. I just think that that's what Paul's talking about. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. That Jesus is going, hey, whatever you look like, there's things about you that I'm going to chisel off and I'm going to fit you into this so we can be together. But Paul takes it, and I love it, because when you think about kind of that, it's very static. It stays there. But what Paul does is he says, no, it's a body. And he goes on, he says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The rock, well, it's a great illustration of what Jesus does in our life and makes something beautiful, but guess what? It doesn't grow. The body grows. It becomes healthy. There's something to it. And as we look back into those verses, you can see, all right, there's some people that are assigned and given the responsibility to make sure that we attain unity, that we grow into maturity, that we, we come together and that we're, they are equipped to be able to do God's purpose and work. But we also see this, that if we are not unified, if we're not coming under, under the headship of Christ, we're not going to accomplish much. There's not going to be a sense of togetherness. There's not a sense of alignment. Paul, as he makes it known, the ultimate authority, ultimate authority of this church is not Brian Haas. It's not a pastor that's on staff. The ultimate authority of this church is Christ alone. We fall under his authority. We are subjects to him. And as we are, guess what? The body is growing and healthy as we submit to that. Have you ever heard it said, um, you're running around like a chicken with its head cut off? Everybody heard that? Yeah. Um, I didn't understand that until I saw it. Like, I mean, you go find a video of that. If your stomach can handle that, like, it's wild. But guess what? That, that chicken doesn't run around with its head cut off for very long, does it? It doesn't. Unless his name is Mike. He's from Colorado in the 70s. Straight up. You have to Google this one, too, after the fact. But Mike the chicken had its head cut off and lived for 18 months after its head was cut off. It was weird. It's a phenomenon that, you know, but not everybody's Mike, all right? So that's different. So most chickens, guess what? They die within just a few minutes. All the blood escapes, and they're done. Every body without a head is simply a corpse. That's what it is. If, if the head is removed, the central nervous system is broken down and it doesn't exist, guess what? Now it's a corpse. And guess what? Corpses. It has no life. Corpses only sit there, rot, decay, and wither away. May it never be said of us as a church that we are not connected to the head and we're not submitted to the head under just submission to one another and Jesus in such a way that we are growing and healthy. The point of unity, at any point in time, this church moves away from Jesus as the head, guess what? It just becomes a club. It just becomes this dying kind of remnant of people. And so we have to be connected to the head. The body is achieved, or the unity is achieved in relationship. 
So as we think about unity, it's achieved as we belong to one another and we are in right relationship with Jesus as the head of the church. All right? So it's relationship. So we have to remember that. So we are united because we belong to one another. We're united as a body because we are um, under the headship of Christ. Paul then moves on and he then talks about this idea of purpose. So we're also united for a common purpose. So we're a body that's united for a common purpose. So what does that look like for us? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all right? So flip on over, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, like the church in Ephesus, Paul is writing very specifically to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a vile city. I mean, it, it did everything and anything. You can read the book of Corinthians, both books, and you can see all of the things that Paul was having to kind of address in their world. So he was helping these immature believers kind of, you know, just make sure that they abandon an old lifestyle, reject idolatry, temple work. I mean, all of these things that was going on, Paul's helping align them. But in, in this specific chapter, Paul is kind of dealing with some of this unity based on some spiritual gifting that was happening within the church. And so he was kind of dealing with these, um, these issues and, and walking them through that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, he comes back around and he says this, as he's trying to sum up and, and, and create some unity. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. It seems familiar. So some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. So there's not sameness because they're not same. A Jew is very different than Gentile, slave very different than free. There's not sameness. And that's not what Paul is trying to get us to, to in order to like there's uniformity and sameness. Um, that's not what Paul's after. He's after oneness. And so Paul is dealing with this idea of oneness. And, and so what he does is he begins to talk and, and compare it to, all right, what are all these parts? And how do all these parts interact or interact? So what's interesting is this. Paul would have known this. So this is, this is just really cool. So Paul would have known this. However, whether or not Paul's referring to it is a whole different story. But Paul would have known this. Just south of the city of Corinth, there is the Asclepion. The Asclepion is a temple. And there is a museum now with all these artifacts that have been dug up that you can go visit the museum. But the Asclepian, is, it was this. It was this temple after the God of healing where individuals would come and seek to be healed. And so what they would do is if they had an ailment, something wrong with an arm, a tooth, maybe not a tooth, I don't know, an eye, an ear, something, you know, whatever. They would then either do one of two things. They would go buy clay and they would take that clay and shape their own body part. So if it's a foot, they're going to make their own foot. They could also go and buy that. So they would go in and purchase from the potter, and they would take that piece of you know, clay, terracotta clay, body part, and put that into the temple and lay it down and say, hey, I want to be healed. This is what I need healed. And they would leave that, and they would go back, just hope for healing. So Paul, as he's writing these next few verses, I'm sure the readers are reading it going, oh, okay, this is interesting. So let's look at this. Verse um, 14, it says this, the body has many different parts, just as one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. All right. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Well, you wouldn't. 
If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Well, you wouldn't. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part together, or each part just where he wants it. So that's, that's the beauty. Again, going back to Jesus, rock mason kind of thing. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, 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 there are many parts, but only one body. So what Paul did in these verses, and in the verses following that we'll, we'll read here in a second, he made sure that he wasn't using the same hominia language as the leaders and politicians. So what Paul was breaking down is the structure, the social structure that they tried to use to make sure that everybody was unified and aligned. Paul was like, no, 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 it's different. Because Paul was saying, hey, listen, there's not classes of better and lesser. There's not this uh, structure of, like, you're the more honored one and you're not. Paul was saying, when it comes to the body, guess what? We're all equal. Look at it. Look at this, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say, say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we have or that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special, uh, with special body. Or, I'm sorry, with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there, be, should, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern belong to one another, equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That is togetherness, that is oneness, that is unity. What a great picture. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. See, it's through the strength, the beauty, and the purpose of the body is found in our diversity. You are so different. You come in different. You come in with different baggage. You come in with different history. You come in with different gifts. You come in with different personality. Every single one of you are unique. And that diversity is the strength of our body. That's, that, that, that just blows my mind. Because God is not looking for that sameness. He's not looking that we all talk, walk, and wear the same thing. He's just saying, man, in your diversity, in your individuality, there is strength in the body. And what is that to do? It's to go toward this common purpose. Let me give you an illustration. Say you, you go in and you, you buy um, a box of crayons. 64 count, you know, with the built-in pencil sharpener, you know, or pencil or sharpener, you know what I'm talking about. Well, if you go in and you went to a store and you looked at it and said, okay, here's what I've got, and I come back home to this, you're going to be sorely disappointed, right? <laughs> like, you're going to be like, okay, what am I doing? I, I, I'm, Tennessee, you can't even go there because it's like, you know, Clemson, you got to have some blue. The only school that has orange as its only color is Syracuse. Well, <laughs> there we go. Fired up. She is coloring all day. But I'm going to tell you, for the most part, what we look at when we see that, we're like, man, that sameness, that oneness is going to get boring. I just, you can't color beauty, and it's just not. But if you have this, which I didn't know there, like Crayola didn't have the market. There's different mark crazy art. Like I didn't, who knew? But crazy art, crayons now. But guess what? In this box, man, there's beauty. All different colors. 
all different things. I mean, there's, there's periwinkle in here. Nobody uses periwinkle to color anything, right? Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, but like, but guess what? Periwinkle in the body of Christ is valued. Periwinkle in this crayon may not be valued, but guess what? For us, every single one of you have value. Every single one of you in here, you look at it and say, man, I'm that crayon in the back that nobody ever wants to use. I mean, you're needed. You are needed here at local church. Now, does that mean that every single one of us have a ministry here within the, these four walls? Or No, it doesn't. Every single one of us has a ministry outside of these four walls. And, you know, it, it's interesting because when we talk about that common purpose, what is it? That common purpose hasn't changed since Jesus left and said, hey, I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize people and teach them to follow me. That's the common purpose. So how do we get at that? What does that look like in all of our uniqueness and difference and diversity? How are we unified toward that common purpose? It's done on the daily. It's done through you, who you work with, who you meet with, who you work beside and go to school with, and who you interact with on the daily. That's what it looks like. I'm convinced of this, that an outside world is watching. And they're looking at the big church and they're going, it's a mess, and I would agree, it's a mess. But guess what? There's an outside world just within this area, this geography, that's watching. And they're looking for a church that is unified, that belongs in relationship to one another, that submits to Jesus in all things, and this united around a common purpose. And I'm convinced they're looking for evidence on some level that they find it enticing enough to ask you to walk through the doors to come in and see what is happening right here. Can we be that type of church? Let it be said of local church Dawson that when they interact with you or they walk through the doors, Man, local church Dawson, guess what? Man, you're going to get prayed for. You, you come here, you're going to be prayed for. You come here, you're going to be loved. You come here, man, they're hospitable. They serve coffee and mints and cool stuff. You know what I mean? Like, there's, guess what? You're going to find spiritual healing at local church Dawson. You're going to find those things. Let it be said of us as a church, as a body of Christ expressed right here, embodied right here as we move and we're unleashed into our worlds that they see that, that they experience that. Could that be your prayer today? Just in alignment, as we're talking about unity, what does it look like for you? Who are you connected with? Like, who knows you? Some of you are struggling so deep you don't have that person that you can go to and say, I've got to confess. Man, this is in my world right now. And I need help. I need somebody. Will you be that somebody that will go with me? That will walk this stretch of the road with me? Can you be connected? Are you submitting to Christ in all things in your life? How are we doing that? Is our body aligned under that? 
and in purpose? How does that look like in your world? You interact with people. Like, they're not looking for perfection. You're not going to be perfect, right? None of us are. I mean, we go into work and, you know, you drive down 400 and there's things that are said and done that just don't honor Jesus, all right? But guess what, man? It's what this world is watching for. They're needing. Just real. We're depending and submitting to Jesus in all things and depending on him for life. The scripture says that he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness through his divine power. So as you rightly align with him, he's given you all that you need to live that purpose out. So can I just challenge this as we close this morning? Maybe you need to call somebody, talk to somebody just right after this service and say, man, would you walk with me for just this little bit to help me get through this? Can I confess these things to you? Can you be that person that knows me at a depth that nobody else does? Maybe for some of you, man, it's just saying, listen, I, I, I realize that my heart is just not aligned, and I just need to align and submit to Jesus in such a new and fresh way. Maybe that's just your prayer. So can I just pray over you and for you? Maybe this too. Maybe at the close of the service, maybe you just need to gather up. Can you just pray with somebody? You know that they need prayer, so you're just going to pray with them and for them instead of rushing out of here. Maybe it's you just come down and kneel. I don't know. Whatever God kind of prompts you to. But let's just, let's, can I just pray for us in that regard? Let's bow our heads. God, we know that you're at work. That is a constant That has been a constant from the beginning. And we see the work that you've done through the church, through the bodies of Christ, and through believers for millennium. God, our prayer is that right now that you would be at work in us. God, I know that that is true. I know right now as you're speaking to hearts, as you do, through the Holy Spirit that resides in them, God, you're moving them and inching them closer to you. And so, God, I just pray that our hearts would be in alignment. We would be a posture that just says, whatever you will, I submit to. So, God, I just pray that as maybe thoughts have provoked, God, that action would be taken. God, for boldness and courage and bravery, for your spirit to move, I pray that we just be sensitive to that. Holy Spirit, move as you wish in our hearts, in our lives. And we pray this in the very strong and powerful and divine name of Jesus, who we submit to and honor. Amen.